We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Sportsbeat continues at 5.30 on WSBT Radio. Sean Styers, Darren Pritchett with you, and we are joined by our good friend Brian Driscoll, the publisher of irishbreakdown.com. Plenty to get to. I, we might need an hour to cover everything I think we'd want to talk about in this particular segment, but we'll do our best. I want to do a live chat with you on Aaron Rodgers and the Broncos flirting with each other. I mean, that's, that's a, <laughs> a topic in itself, but... I'll just start with this, Brian. You've been on this program, and you have discussed how you felt like for this Notre Dame offense to take the next step into that elite category of offenses, which gives you a much better opportunity to win a playoff game plus a national championship. One of the key elements was re-adding RPOs into this offense. You watched the blue goal game. There were RPOs that were on display in that game. I'm just wondering your takeaway from seeing that, and should we expect more of the same once we play for real in the fall? I think they're going to keep building on it, yes. And I just think the when you look at how they game plan to make sure that Avery Davis was getting touches and to get Kyron Williams and Chris Tyree touches in the past game and Lawrence Keyes touches, you don't do things like that <clears throat> if RPOs and 
the things that go along with RPOs because they're not just by themselves. You have to have a screen package off of it. You have to have a play action package off of it in certain, you know, show RPO little looks that you normally run RPOs of and then run, you know, actually drop back passes. But that as a foundation as part of what you do is important. And, and we saw that and, and the, the way that they game planned around it, it tells me that that is part of what they're going to do moving forward. And I was overall very pleased with what I saw schematically and philosophically from the Notre Dame offense on Saturday. Well, I mean, let's let's start with the guys taking the not start, but let's go next, I guess, to the guys taking the snaps and and running those RPOs. The quarterbacks, Jack Cohn, the the uh, Wisconsin grad transfer, you know, a few drops, biased receivers, but I, I like the way he threw the ball. You know, he was comfortable in the pocket. It seemed like. What did you think of uh, the day that he had out I- there? I agree with you, Sean. I thought he looked very comfortable in the pocket. And honestly, I didn't expect him to look that comfortable based on, you know, we've seen him do that at Wisconsin, but that was an offense he had been in for three years. This is basically his 15th practice in this offense. And the timing with which he attacked, to me, was the most impressive thing when you consider how little time he spent in this offense with these receivers. You know, we did a a post-game podcast on Saturday, and, and I showed a couple clips from the game where, He's cocking back, and the ball's about to kind of come through the throwing zone, and the receiver's got his back to him, and he's just now hitting the top end of his route. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. That's what I want to see. That's great stuff. And, you know, to have a quarterback that comfortable with his receivers and with the system to be doing that multiple times is really impressive. And then, of course, I felt they schemed around his talents effectively. He attacked the ball down the field uh, and showed good pocket mobility. There's a couple times he stepped in the pocket and got a throw off or ran that they blew it dead on a sack, that I don't yeah. think that that's end up going to be a sack in a real game where they have to tackle him. Right. Brian, your thoughts on the other quarterbacks in the game? You know, I thought Drew Pine did some good things in the game. I thought he showed a quick release. He made that really nice fourth and two read early in the game where he saw the blitz and just quickly hit Mitchell Evans on a on an accurate pass to get rid of the ball. He did a nice job late in the second quarter climbing into the pocket and throwing over top to Lawrence Keyes. I thought at times the pressure sort of got, uh, sped up his internal clock as the game went on. You know, the fact that they weren't really protecting that well, the, the offensive line really struggled to protect the quarterback. A guy like Jack Cohn's not going to be as bothered by that because he's a fifth-year senior that's been through that before, whereas Drew Pine, this is his first spring, this is his most extensive action. You can understand why he's going to have that reaction, but, but I saw some good things from him. He's just going to have to get more comfortable knowing when to step into the pocket, you know, when to let it rip, when to take the check down, and that's just all part of the maturation process. And I thought Tyler Buckner looked like a freshman at times, a guy that has not played football in a long time. And then at other times he looked like, yep, that's the guy that we thought could be a five-star quarterback. And there was even a throw with Tyler. That if you remember the first throw he made to Mitchell Evans, if you go back and watch that, Mitchell Evans is just getting into the top of his route, and Tyler Buckner's already getting ready to release the ball. And as soon as Mitchell Evans turns around, he fits it in this cover two window that I thought was a great read and a really impressive throw. And, and you know, there's still a lot of growing up to do, but I thought the, 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 the mechanics looked cleaner than they did last summer. I thought he was confident. He was accurate. The ball was really jumping out of his hand, and I thought he had a really good performance as well. And again, part of his performance was against guys you'd hope a guy like Tyler Buckner could have some success with, but it was still sure. good to see those things. Well, you know, and Brian Kelly, of course, asked about him after uh, the, the Blue Gold Saturday and, and, and talking about there could be a role for Tyler Buckner. So what, what kind of role could you envision for him? You know, let's say Jack Cohn is the starter. What, what could Tyler Buckner 
bring, you know, in a role situation to help out the offense. I was really happy to hear Coach Kelly make those comments, guys. I really was. We've talked about this uh, at Irish Breakdown for a while. Vince and I have talked about this, that the perfect dream scenario for me is at quarterback is Tyler Buckner, or excuse me, uh, Jack Cohn wins the job, and he's everything I think he could be. But that Tyler Buckner's so good that you kind of get into sort of a, a Tim Tebow type of role for him where maybe he doesn't run as much as Tim, T- Tim Tebow did, but he can be a guy that can come in, maybe throw a couple passes, but use his athleticism as a change of pace guy. Maybe he's a short yardage back or I mean a quarterback. Maybe you can put him in in some red zone situations where you can really in- emphasize the ability to run the read zones and those type of things. Give him a small package where, you know, maybe in games against like Toledo or Purdue or Navy, Georgia Tech, where you say, hey, look, third or fourth series, we're going to get him in there and, and go tempo and just let him go and give him about four plays and just, just see if you can take t- t- the team down the field and give him those opportunities to where basically at the end of the day it's Jack Cohn's our guy, or if Drew Pine beats out Jack Cohn, that's our guy, but Tyler Buckner's too good not to have some sort of role on our football team. The comments of Brian Driscoll, the publisher of irishbreakdown.com. He joins Sean and I here on WSBT Radio. What can we take away from the offensive line play, knowing that probably the starting unit might not have been together in mm-hmm. this football game? Well, let's start with a positive first, and, okay. and, and we'll be brief here. Uh, but I thought that Blake Fisher was as good as advertised. I thought he wore down a little bit late in the game, a guy that looked like he's, you know, okay, he's hit, the, he's hit that wall uh, at the end of that freshman wall of mm-hmm. practice. But, you know, we know how big he is. We know how athletic he is. But there was a play in the game, Darren, where he stepped inside and, and to his right, and there was a cornerback that blitzed off the edge. Now, we've seen fifth-year seniors not see that. And he turns out, sees the corner blitz, steps out, and takes the guy on and, and stops him. To see a true freshman have that kind of recognition tells me that not only is he 6'6", 330, and athletic, and God gave him just some abilities that nobody else has, this is a thinker, too. This is a smart kid that has instincts to play the position, and that probably more than anything was what I like to see, and I thought he mentally played pretty well on Saturday. I thought Zeke Carell played, had some really good moments. Um, and, you know, I thought Rocco Spindler had some really good moments. I thought Andrew Kristoffic had a couple really good moments, but there were way too many technique mistakes. There was, there was too much catching from the offensive line. What that means is in, instead of stepping off at the snap and really driving into the, to the defenders, you kind of wait for contact. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed come to you that was a big problem in 2018 and 2019 we saw too much of that 
We saw guys opening their hips up, which allows defensive players to really get upfield too fast. And we saw just, you know, Notre Dame was running these real basic stunts. And what that is is like, you know, the tackle will kind of go outside, then the end will loop around inside of them. They were having really a lot of problems picking those up. And those were basic, like, day one install type of stunts. So those are the type of things, you know, that fundamentally and just a lack of aggression that concerned me. Look, they're going to make technical mistakes. The concerning thing for me was that we weren't seeing them make those technical mistakes with a lot of force and power, and that, that to me is a little bit, little bit problematic. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. What about the right wide receivers? Avery Davis and Lawrence Keyes both had pretty good games out mm-hmm. there. They're both slot receivers, though. And, of course, you know, they were playing for one was playing. Davis was playing for the gold. Keyes was playing for the blues, you know, so that gave them both opportunities out there. Could you envision both of these guys out there on the field at the same time in the fall? Absolutely, and it needs to happen. I mean, that that's the reality is it needs to happen. And running a more RPO-oriented offense, a screen-oriented offense, a an offense where you're trying to use your speed to, to outrun people across the field, not just running vertically, is going to enhance your ability to use them both. The reality is, is if Notre Dame runs the same offense they've been running, which is kind of a vertically-based offense, mm-hmm. you know, sort of that big guys making one-on-one plays, then, then you can't really play them a whole lot together. If, what, if they continue to emphasize what we saw on Saturday, then absolutely I think they can play together. And that adds to the original question of what I liked from the offense. And let's not forget, too, that the biggest play that Lawrence Keyes has ever made as an, in a Notre Dame uniform was an out, as an outside receiver. He won a one-on-one against Georgia where he just kind of beat the guy and outplayed him for a ball up the sideline to set up a late second quarter. I believe it was a field goal. Maybe it had been a touchdown, but I think it was a late, late field goal in the second quarter. So I think that if you, if you run the right concepts and emphasize the offense enough, you can play those two guys together absolutely. Are you going to do it every single snap? No, but it's definitely something you can do. And, and then I also, like I said, I, I, you know, I, I thought Avery Davis was – clearly a key part of the offense and i was happy to see that and lawrence keys is doing what what i kind of thought he he, he he could always do if given the opportunity we're talking notre dame football with brian driscoll you can check out his work at irishbreakdown.com so we saw a wide receiver during the blue goal game by the name of jordan johnson but now he is going to leave the university of notre dame this is a five-star recruit gosh we've talked about this guy for a very, very long time. Brian, for whatever reason, it just didn't work at Notre Dame for Jordan Johnson. I think we probably all felt deep down after some of the comments about Johnson that he misses practice and his traits, he's working on those. It just felt like we might end up at this day. As you evaluate the situation... How do you explain this relationship not working out? 
You know, I think it's one of those situations where there's blame to be had all around. I think you have to be able to look at Jordan. Jordan has to look in the mirror and say, okay, what are things that, that coach criticized me for? What are the things that they told me I wasn't doing that kept me from getting on the field? And wherever you go, make sure that you're not doing those things. Try to learn from that. I think there's also a, a lot of learning that Dell Alexander needs to do and a lot of a culpability that he has in regards to were you doing enough as a, as a coach? And this is, what, this is what position coaches are paid to do. This is what coordinators are paid to do and head coaches are paid to do. Your job is to figure out the best way to develop your players. And not every kid is going to be a, you know, a, a buttoned-up, yes sir, no sir, always five minutes early, always 15 minutes early kind of guy. Your job, and you can go back and talk to anybody that played during the Lou Holtz era and ask about some of the great players back then who had people assigned to them to – you know, hey, make sure this guy's in class. I mean, that's part of the deal. You know, you don't want 25 guys like that, but when you have a guy like that, you know, it's your job to really make sure that you're putting in the, the work to get him going. And at some point in time, if he decides he doesn't want to put in the work, then you say, hey, look, maybe there's another better place for you. But, you know, I just think all around uh, th- this was just a situation where nobody did what they needed to do to make this work, coaching-wise, position-wise, head coach-wise, and uh, and and player-wise. And, and I think head coach-wise, I mean, when you've got a kid who who – if you if you think anything of this kid, every single comment you've ever made about the kid publicly has been has been negative. At some point in time, he's just going to say, "Okay, clearly they don't want me here." And I think that's part of of why this was just a, a strange, odd situation that I'm honestly glad we don't have to talk about anymore after tonight. Yeah, that's exactly right. Hopefully, until he until he signs at some big program or yeah. you know or, turns into you know whatever it has. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but you know. You talk about blame going around, and, and his position coach is Dell Alexander. And I've, you know, just in the last 24 hours, you know, you hear bad recruiter, even though, of course, Johnson was a five-star recruit. And I've heard, you know, he can't develop the guys, even, even though guys like Boykin and, and Claypool ascended to the NFL. And, Avery, you know, he helped turn Avery Davis into a, a wide receiver. So what what should our take on Alexander, you know, in, 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 the, in, in its entirety? do you think what do you think of the job that he's doing all the way around well that's the problem sean with having debates in 288 characters because it's never as simple as bad recruiter and you say well he got jordan johnson well was he the primary recruiter for jordan johnson you're going to find that the answer is no it was chip long and tommy reese had more to do with that uh than than he did and you you talk about the development and no one look cream always rises to the top right Uh, i mean if jordan johnson would have stayed eventually he would have got his opportunity the problem when it comes to development and and this is something I wrote about before, especially this new transfer era, is it's not about eventually the guy gets where he needs to get to. Why did it take you four years to get Miles Boykin to the point where he was ready to be an impact player? Why did it take you really three years to get Chase Claypool to that level? Why did it take, you know, why was Chase Claypool as a sophomore and Miles Boykin as a junior standing on the sidelines while you're trying to beat Georgia with Cam Smith and Freddie Canteen? Right. Those are the things about development, which is, yes, we know that you can develop develop veteran players that eventually after three or four years can get ready to play. But to get to the next level, they need to be able to recruit the top athletes and the top talent. And then they need to make sure that the system is geared in a way that allows those players to be developed. And that comes down to how the coach develops relationship off the field. It comes down to the coach making sure he's giving enough time to those young players during practice. Uh, if they're on scout team, all those types of things. And I don't think those things are happening. And I hear it over and over and over again about how once those kids are sent down on scout team, they don't see him other than just going through some individual drills, assuming they're even with him during individual drills. So I think there's just a lot of reevaluation that needs to happen. And, and the frustrating thing is 
Coach Alexander came to Notre Dame with a great reputation, deserved reputation as a strong developer of receivers at Arizona State and Michigan State and Wisconsin. But I think he has not been able to do the things he needs to do to develop younger players to be ready to play. We shouldn't have to wait for four years for Lawrence Keyes to be ready to go. We shouldn't have to wait for four years to Miles Boykin to be finally become an impact player. You've got to be able to get these guys ready to go, and you've got to be able to coach your entire depth chart. Brian, I know we always have to be very, very careful in looking too much into these blue goal games or any spring game. But with Marcus Freeman as the new defensive coordinator, did you pick up any tidbits watching his defense? Anything surprise you? Nothing. Well, the only thing that surprised me is they were structured a little bit more out of a too too high secondary look than maybe I thought they would be. Uh, But it wasn't really a a surprise. It was just more of an emphasis. We've seen them do that, you know, a, a lot at Cincinnati. But I wasn't really surprised by anything. I just enjoyed the aggressiveness of it. I mean, they were bringing corner blitzes and mic blitzes and things like that, and they were. They were really getting after the offensive line, and if they continue to do that in the fall, that's only going to make the offense better. I mean, being able to go against a really aggressive, uh, and even the pressures that they brought, Darren, were were difficult for the offense to pick up, but they were sound in how they went about it. This isn't like a, the John Tenuta scheme where you're you're blitzing seven and there's these huge gaping holes up the seams that if any if an offense is remotely competent, they're going to pick you apart. You know, this is sound aggressiveness, you know, and, and that's the thing I really liked from it, and. I think that if anything surprised me, it was more of the play of certain position groups and certain players as opposed to what we saw from his defense schematically or philosophically. We were just talking about uh, Ian Book and, and the Saints. What, what do you think about that pairing? I, I'm happy for Ian Book. You know, look, if he's if he's ever going to be what – the, the most rabid Notre Dame fan thinks he's going to be, this was the place where it would happen. I, I think there, because when you, and the reason I say that is when you look at Sean Payton's scheme, this is an offense that's been generated on not having a big armed quarterback making throws that, you know, you're not asking him to make throws that Pat Mahomes is making and Aaron Rodgers is making physically. This is about precision, timing, you know, getting the ball out where it needs to get to, intelligence and those kind of things. And, you know, those haven't always been Ian Book's strengths, but they can become his strengths, especially if it's really all that they do and all that they work on. So I, I think schematically this fits his body type and his skill set perfectly. Now it's just about him being able to develop those those aspects of his game that we're really lacking at Notre Dame. And you know this is a great place for him. So you know, at the very least, you know he can be a quality backup for some time. But if he can develop those parts of his game, this is an offense that gives him an opportunity to flourish. And that's such an important thing, guys. You. You followed the NFL for such a long time. Fit is so important for a lot of these guys. Is you know, okay, this quarterback is a good player, but he went to a system that's asking him to do something he's not really built to do. And I think that's what was so so good about this pairing for Ian Book. Hmm. Very cool to see Liam Eichenberg go to the Miami Dolphins in the NFL draft, but I wouldn't have guessed in a million years he would have been the first Irish player off the board. Brian Jeremiah Wusu Koromoa went deep into the Second round, finally salvaged by the Cleveland Browns. Can we read anything into this? Is he a tweener in the eyes of the National Football League that he doesn't have a position? What is your thoughts on how far he dropped? Well, I think that's part of it. You know, I think there's some parts of his game that concern people just a little bit, maybe too much of a freelancer. And then I, Adam, I believe it was Adam Schefter. I, I, I hope that that's correct. It was either Adam Schefter or Ian Rappaport, but I believe it was Adam Schefter said today 
that there was a time where he was having uh, there were some heart concerns about some some tests that came back and mm-hmm. some of the medicals that yeah, that raised some concerns about his heart that it all ended up checking out the Browns checked it off a lot of teams got everyone got the whole hey he's fine but I think when you put something like that about a heart issue with some other concerns then you can understand why a guy like that would fall uh, I think ultimately he it, it worked out great for him other than financially because he went to a place that a lot of people felt was a great fit for him at 26 in the first round. And if you'd have told me before the draft that Cleveland would have got Jeremiah in the first round and Greg Newsom in the second round, I'd have said, boy, you had a great draft. Well, they got those same two guys. They just they just flipped them. So I, I think Cleveland Cleveland got hit a home run with getting Jeremiah in the second round. Now it's up to him to, to improve the parts of his game that, that people didn't like and improve part of his how he goes about his business that maybe had some teams concerned and, and prove that he was deserving of a first-round pick. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, just like you said, I think it, it seems like just seeing some Cleveland people, you know, on social media, uh, it, it seems like Cleveland is just ecstatic about the fact that they've got a Wusu Kormo, and it's just icing on the cake that they ended up getting him, you know, in the second round and didn't even have to use a first-round pick on You know, Sean, I, I, have a, I grew up in Ohio. I have a lot of friends and family in Ohio, and I can't believe you how many text messages and DMs <laughs> I got after Cleveland passed on him of just Browns fans that were just heartbroken. Not even mad, just like, they just like, oh, I can't believe he's going to fall to us. I'm so excited. And then they picked Greg Newsom, and it was like, no. And then to have him <laughs> fall, I mean, just it's like, it, it's kind of like how I felt as a Broncos fan a couple years ago when, when when the Broncos didn't take Drew Locke at 20, when I thought they were going to take Drew Locke at 20, and then he falls into the second round and you get him, it's kind of like, hey, this worked out great because you got another first-round player in, in the first round, and then you get another first-round player in round two. Uh, I think that's how Browns fans are feeling. And hopefully, you know, for Jeremiah, this is an opportunity for him to maybe go in the league with a little bit of chip on his shoulder and make yeah. some of the adjustments yeah. and go out there and, and, and play play great football. Okay, Brian, tell us what's happening right now at irishbreakdown.com. I know you write stories, you do live chat. What's the proper way of saying it? When you go on YouTube Live, it is a... They call it a live chat. Okay. Is what they call it. So, okay. And you guys know me. I don't chat. I, it's more of a sermon <laughs> uh, than anything. But, you know, today we actually had one which I thought was very interesting, and it was called, uh, Who are the Gap Closers in this class? And a Gap Closer to me is... And I explain it. So you have to listen to the video. I explain what a gap closer is, but it's it's recruits that are allowing Notre Dame, if Notre Dame can get them, to close the gap on Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State. And I talked about who the gap closers were in this class that Notre Dame needs to get, where things stand with those kids, and then also talked about how this is probably the most confident I've ever I've been in a long time at this stage in the process that Notre Dame is actually in position to land a good number of those players. So we did that today. It's on the front page. Uh, you should definitely check it out. I, I think it's a very good listen. And then, of course, we answer. That's the other thing, too. We answer questions from our listeners, which is a lot of that's fun, cool. you know, and talk about what people, what's on your mind, and just really try to make it as interactive as possible. Final throw-in question. You're a Cincinnati Reds fan. So I think it was two years ago your reliever, Amir Garrett, tried to take on the entire Pirate team, and oh, oh now he's tried to take on the entire Chicago Cubs dugout. What position does he play in Marcus Freeman's defense? Because obviously he's got plenty of aggression. Yeah, well, you know, it's funny. Is he was a power, I think he was like a power forward at Rutgers, right, in college basketball, and he's playing that Viper spot. You know what I mean? He's got that okay. Isaiah Foskey frame, and, you know, he's got that length, and uh, he's clearly got the attitude. You know, he's he's got that Jordan Patejo attitude to just go after it. So, yeah, he's, uh, he's, 
he's got a football mentality. There's no doubt about that. In terms of his chirping, he's the John Randall of Major League Baseball. Yes, no doubt. No doubt. It's like, hey, but you better get that ERA down a little bit if you want to continue to be able to do <laughs> yeah. that.